It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yeah, baby, this week's starring special guest star, Mr. Matt Hurt. Hello. Ooh, watch this mix. Oh, wow. Really high tech. All right. Well, I am here finally for many of you who have been asking for couple of years at least, can you do a remote at Matt Hurt's studio? So here we are at, uh, I don't know, Shea Hurt? I don't know what do you call it, uh, ground It control? doesn't have a name. <laughs> My crappy studio is what My you mean. Well, the, the, yeah. <laughs> when pressed. What? When pressed, I call it that. <laughs> it doesn't sound crappy. Uh, here, I'm going to pan. Hopefully, I can get yeah. back to the shot. Yeah. Anyway, there's Matt over there. I'm off camera today because we can't do both of us being in the shot all that well. But, whoops, <laughs> turning yeah, something that's not good. All right, there's the big pan. So, that, that's all I got, people. That's the whole studio right there. Okay. And that's a baffle for doing vocals. Okay, yes. now I'm going to bring this back around. Very, very high tech. It's funny, I don't know if you noticed, but I, I started a, an area on the forum that uh, I asked people for ideas on taxi TV, and everything that they're asking for would require like a two or three camera shoot, an oh. editing room, audio post production. It's like, this isn't a real TV show. It's more like a, you know, a radio show with a camera. Yeah. So, uh, one of the reasons I'm doing this now is that I've been getting a lot of people asking me lately, and talking about it on the forum and emails, uh, what is the five-year plan? And Matt is, to the best of my knowledge, the, the godfather. He is ground zero, the genesis of the phrase, the five-year plan. And I can't remember years ago, probably more than 10 years ago, you and I did a video together when I got my first digital video camera in my office. Yes. Little Casio thing. And you were very forthcoming in a very, very popular uh, web series on YouTube. I don't think you mentioned the five-year plan because it may not have had a formal name at that point. No, I don't think. I, it was just something I, I think I mentioned one time. I don't know that I called it five-year plan. It was on the taxi forums years and years ago where I just said, like, you know, I probably said, somebody probably said, well, you know, I've been sending stuff to taxi now for three months and nothing has happened. And, <laughs> and, and you know, what, what's going on? You know, why I'm not making money? And I probably said, well, you need more like a five-year plan or something to, for this. And that's probably how it came about. So it wasn't like I, I had like, you know, thought out some like really sophisticated, you know, five year uh, plan. It was just, you know, knowing how long it takes to get somewhere. I, um, I, you know, was just being realistic about the fact that uh, this is a slow movie, a slow moving business and you can't imagine or you can't expect to just immediately be successful and make money. Um, so, the people that keep asking me over and over about the five-year plan seem to think that there is some actual thing laid out. Like, in the first three months, do this. In the next six months, do that. At the end of, first, of the first year, you should be making X amount of money. And then, 
Yeah, they think that there's actual like written down plan no. for this. And I think you just... uh, no, it's like we're not stalling or something <laughs> like that. You know, we just got it all written down and like. We should sell it, Matt. We should know. just make up some little BS plans. No, because because it, it you know that that's like when we used to do the class at the road rally. You know, we we would always say like the first thing we'd say, what it's not. It's not that. You know, it is basically just uh, understanding. How? Why does it take long to to make money from uh, licensing music? Why is it taking so long? Especially, you know, when if you're starting from basically a novice and not even knowing anything about it, you, you know, you gotta understand. First, you have to, you know, understand what what is this type of music? What are music is? What is production music? What kinds of different types of production music exists? Where do you fit in? What can you produce? And um, uh, then you have to write something, and you know, trial and error will will basically teach you um, how to write the right thing. So that takes a while. So so then you have to find somebody that's interested in representing your music uh, and releasing it to to the uh, you know uh, media industries, film, television, commercials, whatever, and then somebody actually has to use your piece of music after it's been made available uh, to these various people. And you know you also have to understand that that pitching process can also on the, on the side of the production music library, for example, or the publisher that can take a while. Let's um, talk about that because pitching is almost a misnomer. In the old days of the music industry, you would sign a publishing deal as a, a staff writer, let's say, and they would give you twenty-five, dollars $100,000 a year advance. You would turn in a song a month written as a solo or maybe two a month written as a co-writer. Uh, and, and then they would hit the streets. They would decide, oh, this would be good for this artist. That might be good for that artist. And they would take A&R people out to lunch or call them up and, and drop off a cassette or a mm -hmm. CD. Well, in the world of film and TV music, you don't pitch the music until somebody asks you for something like that because they have a need. So, uh, yes and no. Well, you well, know, for some, the most part. Right? Yeah, I mean, some company have the sales staff, and uh, the larger companies they have sales staffs, and they they will, uh, you know, obviously actively try to sell but their catalog to various uh, um, you know post-production places and so forth but that's like a blanket deal Let, let's if we go back to blankets but I'm, I'm talking about this scenario doesn't happen where somebody a salesperson from firstcom let's say picks up the phone and calls somebody at NBC and says man oh man I've got an amazing song about falling in love no, no, yeah. That that's old school pitching. So yeah. pitching in the context of film and TV music it's might different. be. I yeah. notice that you guys are going to Russia this year for this particular show, a spy show, and you spend a lot of time in Russia. So I know you're going to need stuff for cars, bars, and restaurants. We've got a great Russian catalog of contemporary stuff that you would hear in a club, on the radio. Is that a, a better description of? Yeah, that could pitching? be a way. That could be a way of pitching it. I mean, you know, these people, uh, uh, you know, obviously do proactively approach uh, production companies and so forth, uh, knowing what what is being shot out right. there, what what has gotten green lighted and so forth, and then also 
of course, a lot of times they get the call from the music supervisor or music editor or whatever the case may be, depending on the level of, of uh, uh, you know production that we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and then and then those people uh, and then they will react to that. They, and you know, a lot of times when they decide what to produce next, it's a lot of times driven by customer requests. So. Uh, uh, you know, it definitely, it definitely is a sort of a two-way street, but it's definitely, you know, l largely client-driven uh, in one way or another. And so sure. that really, the fantasy that people have going back to the five-year plan of, okay, so now in the first year, I figured out what production music is versus just writing pretty love songs from right. my heart. And now they know the basic structure and they're able to meet all of those kind of artistic and technical standards, and they can produce real um, production music, right. a cue, let's call it an instrumental cue for the sake of argument here. And I think that people sometimes think, yes, I just signed my first deal, and they have this picture in their mind's eye of somebody picking up the phone and calling around going, I just signed this awesome new writer. Right. I, I just don't see that happening, and I think that people then get very frustrated that, well, gee, I signed the contract and nothing's right. happening. Yeah, no. I think I think that's true, but even if, I mean, <laughs> that's, you know, just not a realistic scenario. Even if they picked up the phone and called everybody, <laughs> you know, and tell them about the awesome writer, that would still not result in a placement, you know. Right, because the need has to yeah, be Yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, you have to realize that, um, once the song is signed or the tracks are signed, uh, it go it goes to um, it it needs to come to the point where somebody actually needs it. Now, of course, you know there's various different scenarios. It can sometimes go faster or slower. Like if the music was produced with a specific television show in mind that is just gonna you know start its new season or whatever, then then there might be. The placement might happen quicker than if you write, uh, you know, uh, um, an album of uh, um, Russian balalaika music, and you just wait until somebody needs it. You know, that could take a lot longer. But on the other hand, you know, the Russian balalaika is going to sound the same in in ten years and fifteen years. So there's a, a longer shelf life usually for those things. So it kind of balances itself out, and stuff that's much more in demand now, much more contemporary, can also date a lot more uh, quickly. So, uh, which uh, well, I don't want to. We'll come back to that because I want to veer off the five-year plan. So people always ask me, well, you know, how much money can you make in year number one, and year number two, year number three? And I sent Matt an email over the weekend say, saying I want to discuss this. But what I meant was to tell people the reality of it and not actually go, well, in my first year I made 5000 second year you can expect to make 25000 So can you lay out the income arc, if there is one at all? Uh, there fires? really isn't because it depends on many different factors. You know, it depends on, you know, the thing that we just talked about, how, how, how much immediate demand is for the music that you just produced. Right. If there's immediate demand, you might get a few placements within, uh, you know, let's say a half year, and then you might, you know, then then it takes a half a year for the royalties to to kick back in at least. If so you're can, still yeah, so that's it's if still it's American. Yes, foreign. exactly. So that's still now now you're already past your first year, even even though you got about as lucky as you could get. So and people walk away because they're depressed. Yeah. If they haven't gotten a check yet. It's so yeah. So this is really it's not it, it's not um, um uh 
you know, for people who are who have short attention span. You know, you have to you have to just stick with it for a while. And this is really this is was really the definition of the five year plan and why we came up with the idea of calling it the five year plan is because we said like you need to give it at least five years to see enough movement to decide if you want to continue or not. So if you can you know if you can say to yourself, you know what, maybe I could make a living writing music at some point in the future, am I willing to give it a a concentrated effort for five years straight and do everything that I can in those five years and at the end of the, that five years I can look at the results and I can say you know I got somewhere or you could or maybe you didn't get anywhere or maybe you decided this is not for you you don't even want to do this at, at all but you have to give it a certain amount of time to be able to get you know to f to allow for things to come to fruition if you don't give it that amount of time then you'll never know whether you could have succeeded at it and, and you mentioned variables before it could be let's take an imaginary three people that start out at the exact same day and they have equivalent talent so let's take that variable out the, the variable of the start date and the talent level one of them is a dental hygienist and she works, uh, he, she, it works, because I want to be politically incorrect. Don't send letters. I pointed at the computer when I said <laughs> that, like an idiot. Like the letters are gonna, well, they will come out of the computer, but okay, dental hygienist who works uh, 8.30 in the morning until 5.30 at night, five days a week, and has weekends free. The next person is a flight attendant with an irregular schedule, but gets some big chunks of time off. And the next person is, uh, works at a guitar center as a salesperson and has somewhat regular hours, but a little flex time built in there um, and has access to equipment and borrowing and, right. and all that stuff. And noodling around on the guitar while there's not a lot of people in the <laughs> right, store. Exactly. So I would postulate that each of their arcs as to how much they can learn about what is needed to be made and how quickly they learn how to make it efficiently is going to be different because they have three different lifestyles. Oh, let's throw somebody in there who's married and has children and responsibilities like going to birthday parties on right. weekends yes. or taking the kids to the YMCA or Little League. So one guy's five-year plan, the end result at the end of five years is going to be, and I say guys in a very... Um, generic sense, it's going to be very different than uh, somebody else's because of the demands and rigors of their day-to-day. -day yeah, life. exactly. That's also a reason for the five years is that, uh, you know, if you, you know, most people starting to do this, they're going to they're gonna uh, have a day gig, you know, because they're not like independently wealthy or anything like that. So, so there is, you, you, even if you do everything that you can within the amount of time that you have available, you still don't have a full time, you know, uh, you, you don't have, you know, uh, uh, you know, five days a week, you know, eight hours a day to do this. So naturally, it's going to take a while, even if you are as efficient as possible with your time. And so, you know, that's why uh, it, it really does take a while. And that's why we said five years is about realistic to get for each of these scenarios to get to a point where you could say, you know, I made some progress, 
you know, you can look back at all the stuff that you learned. You maybe you got some placements, you know, or maybe you got some things signed, or, or, or maybe you made some money, depending on your, you know, particular uh, um, the paces at which you are proceeding. But uh, it's enough, I think, in each of those scenarios to to basically um, uh, have to come to a conclusion, uh, you know, yeah. a, a, a conclusion that somewhat uh, you know, valid or somewhat, uh, um, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, you know that 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 is grounded in reality. You know, I, I think that far too many people walk away from it in the third, fourth, and even fifth years because they have, in their own minds, set a bar that I'm going to be making fifty grand by the end of five years. Yeah, and it's unlikely. We've seen some people like we're both friends with uh, Matt Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. uh, that guy works his butt off, and mm -hmm. I think has fifteen hundred tracks out there in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, he's probably one of the faster five-year plan guys because he just worked his butt off to the exclusion of almost everything else in his right. life. So if you're willing to do that, it can be done. It's just most people don't have the option to do yeah. it, nor do they have the desire. And it also <laughs> may have it may have a lot to do with with his initial connections. You know, uh, just I don't know his story like all that well, but you know, if you if immediately get connected with somebody that can immediately get make something happen for you, you're going to be much more likely to be motivated. Like if you let's say you know through happenstance you get hooked up with somebody who can immediately get your music and when i mean when i say immediately i mean like within the first year or something like that you're, you're, you know i'm afraid you're going to give a false impression yes it, this goes back to what you like to say which is yes it can happen but right. it usually wouldn't happen no I'm, but and, what and i'm saying is yeah he could he could be he could be you know some people can be in a situation where they immediately uh, uh, or, or quickly, quickly get yeah. hooked up with a situation that that can create some money for them, and that may be a motivator that makes them, you know, sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel more quickly, and that may may make them even pour even more energy into it. So I think it it help, in some cases it's not just people that 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 they're really hardworking, which I'm sure Matt is uh, by all accounts that I've heard, but. But it's also like if you got that little bit of a lucky break early on and you get, you just get the taste of it and you realize, oh, I can just keep doing this. I think then, then it's, more, it's less frustrating than if you just by happenstance, you know, don't get hooked up with somebody that can make you money within, a, within the first year, which can totally happen, you know. And so you have to realize that doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything wrong with your music. It's just your trajectory or your, you know, you know happenstance is not the same as everybody else's. This is why we can't give you a breakdown of what you have to do in month one and then month two and month three because there's, there's you know, as, as a... Um, uh, one of our good friends says is like uh, you know there's only certain things you can control and don't worry about the things you can't control because um, you know uh, that's like just wasted energy. Matt Vanderbilt would be the first to tell you that it was because he joined Taxi and went to the road rally early in his arc but two things again had to line up 
because I've also seen the flip side is people join taxi three months before the rally. They come there, they spend the entire weekend in the bar schmoozing. They want to meet you, some of the other more established, very established guys who are very successful and use that as their inroads to libraries that you guys work with. They don't have the talent, or not the talent, they don't have the knowledge and the chops yet. Right. They could be very talented, but unless they've learned how to construct library music, the arrangements, the sonic quality, all those little salt and pepper things that go in there, you could have that quick learning, quick entree arc that Vanderbilt had and still not have Oh, work. absolutely. Or yeah. you could be supremely talented at making music and not have the, the speed of the introductions. Well. Absolutely. So absolutely. It, it, yeah. it, it's there's just that's that's why we're that's why we're keeping it so vague because there's so many variables. It's not like we, we don't wanna, you know, uh, give you better information. It's just that the it the variables are, yeah, are there's no absolute prescription. No, absolutely not. And so, you know, you know, the one thing that I always say with production music, it's, you know, there's a reason it's called production music. The reason it's called production music is, of course, that it gets used in productions. But to me, uh, the, you know, I always kind of like to point out that it's all about production. So right. your production has to be, it's more, your production is more important than anything else. A lot of times, if you're a fantastic composer, uh, you you might write stuff that's too complicated, and your produ actual production skills might not be where they need to be, and so then again you haven't you're having an issue, you know. So it's the like production music is all about production. It's all about you know what you what you you know what you do with within the genre that you're doing. Uh, how you how you're able to make it sound exactly the way they want it to sound when they use it in productions. So it's really the production is the most important aspect. And, and sometimes that production means knowing what not to do or what to leave out versus mm -hmm. how to. Because uh, it's funny. Last time I did one of these in studio jobs was at Steve Barden's place, not that far from here, as a matter of fact. And somebody you've known for a long time, yes. and he did a very simple acoustic guitar dobro track which you could absolutely hear that and go, yeah, that would work in any of the Gator shows in mm -hmm. a minute. But he didn't put six guitars in there. He didn't put a bunch of fancy Dobro stuff. It was all about creating that end of the day, feet up on the front porch vibe. I've heard stuff from you that's like, the horns and strings are so well articulated that if I didn't know it was you and I didn't know it was done with the keyboard, I wouldn't know that it wasn't the real deal. That's a whole different skill set. And so you have this range of Simple stuff that you could bang out in a couple hours, and I don't use that term bang bang out loosely. And then you have very sophisticated, high-level stuff that you're more prone to do, whether it's songs or yeah, I would say yeah. I mean, you know, at this point, but but you know, that also it it it, it it's just a matter also again of of access. You know, I mean, there's there's so many different users of music out there and um, very very different types of music work in these different uh, in these different outlets whether you're talking about you know like a news uh, and you know it could be you know there's library music used in news themes you know right. and there's library music used in you know some kind of uh, like swampy underscore show that you know where it's just kind of wallpaper in the background there's library music used in major movies obviously uh, scripted television shows, uh, you know, sports programming, uh, 
everything and so uh, different styles of music get used and most of the companies that are more easily accessible for somebody early in their career they're not gonna be full service mm-hmm. they're not going to be servicing all of these markets so and they're have sa- right have sales offices in 12 yeah, cities exactly. around the world so they're so they're so they're what they can use is usually more limited or what they can use a lot of is usually more limited so um you know it's important that you can produce what the people that you can uh, connect with can use you know that's that what they can use not only what they can like but what they can place you know right if somebody gets you know if somebody has a reputation for being you know the hip-hop library that you know everybody calls for hip-hop uh, you can write fantastic orchestral music that's probably not your best outlet for your orchestral music because they don't get calls for that you know I wasn't going to get to this till farther into the show but let's talk about it now because you, you just brought it up and that is that uh, we probably talked about this on a panel or something together, but the they love me syndrome. The first time you get in with a library and they love you, what else do you have? Do you have more of this, more of that? Before you know it, you feel like you've got an entree with that person. Maybe the greatest person in the world and, and a really wonderful library in every regard. I've always felt that you would be very wise to spread your bets amongst many and not just spread them, but spread them intelligently to see which libraries tend to work with reality shows, which ones, for instance, you have a lot of stuff in feature films. Those are hard things to get. For library music, they generally license stuff from, it's either ancient stuff that's from old record labels, or they get stuff from major record labels. Um, I I always smile when I see your stuff in the credits, because I know it's tough for Matt Hurt from the middle of the San Fernando Valley to get stuff in a film. That's not going to happen for a lot of people because they haven't had the years of experience. They haven't had, they don't know which libraries to go to for which things. And you do now because you know these people and you know which ones have been more successful at getting your Latin stuff with lyrics placed versus your Chinese instrumental stuff placed. Two different disciplines. So how can somebody that's relatively new, and and I have some questions today written out for beginners, intermediate, and experienced. So let's say that this is somebody between beginner and intermediate. They've gotten some stuff signed, and they're falling in love with the I love, they love me syndrome, Mm -hmm. and they keep sending the same stuff to that library first. I think that they may be foolish because they're signing their Chinese instrumentals with that company, as well as every other genre under the sun. That company may have no good output. You know well, I, mean? I would definitely, you know, think about the first thing you have to you have to look about the company that you're working with and and like see what is their um, their reach in in the market, you know. Right. For example, do they have foreign distribution, right? I mean, that's that's an, an important factor. If you don't if they don't have foreign distribution, that's not a problem, but you probably want to also work with a library that does have foreign distribution because there's a big market out there uh, that you are not even uh, you know, tapping into if you are not uh, with somebody like that. There's some fantastic companies uh, here in LA that get some fantastic placements but they are just in the US and so yeah. you know you want 
you want to give them some music, but you don't want to just only work with them because you're not going to be tapping into the foreign market. That's just one example. There's companies that work almost exclusively with scripted television movies, things like that. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's, there, that's an important market and a very prestigious market and a market you want to be in, but there's also a market for, uh, a huge market of non-scripted, uh, uh, you know, um, television. And that's not, that's reality television is one of them, but that's also news. That's also sports. Mm -hmm. You know, these are all markets that you want to be in. And then we're talking about the commercial market, you know, the infomercial market. Uh, so there's all these these markets out there and uh, not very many companies um, will have a, you know, a reach into all of these markets worldwide. There I mean, one or two things, but not so. Yeah, I mean, the, the companies that have a reach, uh, a worldwide reach into just about every market, they're probably, you know, uh, there's maybe 10 of them. <laughs> I would guess it yeah. could be more, but I mean, if once you start to look at how they have agglomerated, you know, uh, so I think that's an accurate count. And, and funny enough, many of those are the companies that were before this explosion of one-person libraries or two-person libraries. Those were the companies that were around in 1978 and 1984. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And they're yeah. still around, they're and they've still. had a chance to grow. Mm -hmm. Very difficult. For uh, somebody we were speaking about before we went on camera, a, a one-person library operation who lives in L.A. that has a few friends that are editors at reality shows mm -hmm. and gets quite a bit of stuff used mm -hmm. there. Definitely a fruitful library. To you be want in. to be in that company, and 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 but you want to know you want to know what to give them. You want to know right. that they're not going to give you the major. They're not going to get you the major movie placement. They're not going to get you a major commercial. So give them the kind of music that they can use, and they will, they will usually tell you, you know, too. I mean, or you can talk to some other people uh, that work for that company. What are what are the placements you're getting? That's I always true. say, like I always say, ask a company that you are interested in working with. Ask them for a list of recent credits. That'll tell you, and most of them will be happy to give it to you. And you can tell right there: is there anything scripted on it? Is it all reality? Is there any commercial? You get you get the, an idea of their reach, and by, um, by uh, uh, you know through that you'll get an idea of what they might be really good at placing and what they might not be so good at placing. So definitely an idea of of you know. Um, not putting all your eggs in the same basket, I think, is very important. You know, diversification, like with everything, it's good to diversify, to be in different libraries, and to be in the different markets that they that they cater to. You know, it's like investing in stocks, bonds, real estate, and annuities. You right. want a little bit in everything if you make the right kind of music for those things. Right. I'll tell you a quick funny story. Well, sadly, funny story. Um, I found out the other day, I found a file folder and I opened it up because I was like, what is this stuff? It's going to throw it away. It was somebody on our A&R staff five years ago approximately uh, that had gotten an email from somebody who was a major rock star, had a big hit record. Anybody watching the show would know the name of this mm -hmm. person. And that person 
had some sort of library, not very extensive, and they were reached out to by a major ad agency for a major product, and the guy didn't have the right kind of music, so he turned to Taxi and said, you know, I used to be a member of Taxi before I became a famous rock star, in so many words. Uh, can I please run a listing? And two people on my staff turned him down. They talked to each other and they said, no, I'm sorry because you don't have a website. And our members like to be forwarded to companies that have a website so that they can go, ah, yeah, they've offered me a contract. I can see that they've done this or they've done that. There's something there that's substantive enough to prove their value to the potential right. signee. I was heartbroken. I actually picked up the phone and I called this gentleman. He still had the same phone number. He was so delighted that I called him and now he's going to be running listings because he's an independent film producer of some notoriety. But just goes to show you, anything is a potential avenue if you just think it through carefully. Right. Yeah. Those, I, those guys didn't think it through. They know that the the part of the mantra of taxi is we need stuff to point to their credibility for our membership. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that is that th those are you know difficult decisions to make. I think because because you want to make sure that that person you know. It's not going to only have the outlet, but it's also going to have the diligence to, uh, you know, treat your members fairly. So it's it's right. it's it's a, a difficult decision to make, I think. Uh, I want to go back to the five-year plan for a second and and talk about income, even though we've already established for those of you who have come late that you could go five years and not make a penny. Uh, it's really consider it throwing the ball up in the air before you serve at tennis or putting the ball on the tee on a golf course. Largely what you're doing in the first five years is set up. You're learning how to make the music, you're making the right connections, you're learning the, the norms of the industry and how things go, and you might make a little money. Some people get lucky in the beginning, most people don't. Uh, for those who are somewhat lucky or a little bit lucky, is it realistic for me to say probably no income in the first year? Second year, again, if you're somewhat lucky, this is not the norm, you, you know, a few hundred bucks, maybe in year number three, a thousand or two thousand, because I, I get emails from people, I've broken the, you know, the four digit mark, which obviously they're over a thousand bucks. Mm -hmm. In the fourth year, maybe they'll make 2,200. In the fifth year, maybe 5,000. We've had exceptions where people have made 20 or 30,000, largely because of one really juice, juicy placement that was largely luck. For those who do make money in the first five years, if I painted a kind of realistic picture, yeah, about... definitely, it's not going to be substantial. Quit your day job, right. uh, uh, you know, income unless you you do get lucky. But you can't count on that. You and know, you can That's... make your luck, like yeah. Matt Vanderbilt was the example. What you can put, what yeah. you can do is to you know, like, and the person who said this, I think, uh, um, is is Chuck Schlockner. He says, like, don't worry about the things you can't control. Worry about the things you can control. Right. And so, uh, you know, you can control. The, 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 the networking you do, you can control the tracks that you write, how good they are, how many you write. Uh, you can control all, all those many things, but you cannot control if your track is going to get selected by a music supervisor to be put in like a, a, a you know, a, a, a number one movie. I mean, that's like winning the lottery kind of luck and you can't control that. So you can't worry about it. You have to worry about the things that you can control and, and, you know, put your energy into those things and, uh, and then just, uh, you know, just let things take their course. And, uh, uh, you know, 
the odds are simply that if you write good music, you get it to the right people, uh, you write enough of it, and, and uh, uh, you know, you just keep persevering, the odds get better and better and better that right. stuff is going to start hitting because it's a numbers game. And I'm good. Well, it's a controlled numbers game uh, because the, so many people love to say, oh, the music industry is a lottery. Well, a lottery is pure chance. You're making a really strong case for you know, do the things you can control about making, going to the right conferences, uh, meeting the right people, studying your craft, watching a lot of TV so that you understand, okay, that kind of show uses, I'm pointing at Matt's TV set for those of you who can't see me, which is everybody, uh, watching the right show and going, okay, I can do acoustic music. If you're a keyboard player and you don't have a guitar, a mandolin, or a banjo, you're not a string-oriented person, then don't watch something where they're doing a lot of strings and horns because you're not gonna get good at it quickly, most likely. But if you are good at the string stuff, what uses that? Gator shows, um, maybe travel shows that need light, airy, acoustic, guitar-driven music. So watch the shows that have the kind of music that's feasible for you to do, and then study what you need to know typically 90 seconds to two minutes, typically some sort of button or sting or ending. Yeah, and you can also, you can also of course, go to, you know, like like we just established, a lot of these companies, these, these production music companies have websites, right. and they release albums, you know, and you can listen to the music there, you yeah. know, and they will usually also tell you, you know, it will say, you know, uh, uh, you know, they have a credit on this and this show, so, Sometimes uh, it's more, it, it, I think both are helpful. It's helpful to watch the show because you the can context. see how the music gets yeah. used, but it's also important to go you know, to, uh, to a library's website and listen to the music there because there a lot of times you can hear the whole cue. So you can hear you know, better on what they're looking for as, right. you know, because they might just use like 20 seconds or something on, especially on reality right. television, you know, a lot of times it's not the whole cue. You're not really, you might hear the ending, but you know, uh, you're not really going to hear what's really happening development wise in this cue. And that's one of the most important things uh, for a successful piece of production music is uh, to have the right amount of development and in by the that, cue. that means forward movement where it's constantly building has a sense of moving forward uh yeah yes or no <laughs> i mean you know it it, it can it, sometimes it has no development you know that's right. what i'm saying it's the right, right kind and amount of development it depends it varies in style obviously if you're doing you know orchestral dramatic orchestral music and its form and the development is going to be completely different from uh, you know, a tension drone or, 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 you know, a little acoustic ukulele happy slappy hand clappy track, you know, they're all going to be different. I can't believe you just said that. So <laughs> you're the only guy from Switzerland that ever said happy clappy hand clappy, whatever you just said in the history of the entire Swiss nation. You, you probably might be the only person yes. ever said that. Uh, I, I want to pan around and show Matt's studio and then just give you a partial list of his credits. He's, or, largely his film credits with some TV stuff stuck in there. But for, for everybody who's watching this or who will watch the archive at some point in the future, don't think that you need to build a room within a room or that you need $50,000 worth of gear and need a very sophisticated studio. 
Matt proves the point that it's the ear, not the gear, with the exception of he does own quite a few libraries, but he's also learned how to use them really, really yeah, well. Yeah, and, and you know, that's still not anywhere near room-in-a-room uh, -room construction cost. You know, the libraries are, you know, it's a substantial investment, but it's not, you know, the same as... as uh, and just by buying them doesn't make you talented either. No, 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 absolutely not. You need to know what you do with them, for sure. Okay, so there it is. Uh, there's a keyboard down there that I'm not getting because I don't have pan and tilt. I just have pan because I'm using a mic stand right now. Oh, there you go. And there's a computer down there, a tower, and you know, uh, I have an I have a rack mounted computer, but I don't use it at the moment. That's like my, uh, uh, you know, if I need more power, if I did like a big orchestral thing or something, I need a little bit more uh, computing power. Ah, oh, damn it! Now that I moved the camera. You're like sunburnt looking. That's oh, all right. Good. It's it, the white balance is settling down. All right. So now. That studio that you just saw, and this man sitting in front of you, this sunburnt individual. Um, <laughs> Often sunburnt. <laughs> he does spend an awful lot of time outdoors, far more than most musicians. Can, yes. um, so the first thing, this is from his IMDB page, and, and Matt's last name is spelled H-I-R-T, if you want to look him up, not hurt like Hurt Locker, H-U-R-T. Um, so this stuff dates back to 99. None of it was input uh, on the site by Matt. This all came from the production companies. Um, and remember, this is largely film-related stuff, yeah. not a whole lot of TV in there. Um, Sugartown, Big Wind on Campus, that was 99 and 2000. 2004, Connie and Carla, uh, 2004 again, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, a classic, a true classic. Um, Tilt, there's a TV series in 2005. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which was like kind of Matt's breakthrough movie, I guess. Yeah, that was the that was the first number one I had. And that was with uh, Brangelina. Yeah. Um, yes, long. Maybe. That was that was that was the the you know the spark that set Brangelina into motion. That's right. It was probably your music. They probably oh, went sure. back to the oh, trailers yeah. at night and made passionate love to yeah. what was the song? Latin uh, song. Ma, Mi dolce caridad, right? Yes. Uh, which means my sweetheart, right? Or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. See, that's about all the Spanish I know right there. Um, the TV set, uh, Minnie's first time. I remember when that one happened. I think I love my wife. That's always a good thing. Hamlet 2, The Ruins. Now we're up to 2008. Um, Stiletto, 2008. Uh, and then there's uh, like II next to it, so I have no idea what that means. Um, Weeds, the TV series, um, yeah. Burn Notice, TV series, and then Tropic Thunder in 2008. I can't believe that was already nine years ago. Yeah. It feels like it was three, doesn't it? Yeah. I just yeah. saw that again. That one plays like crazy on weekends in particular, on premium channels like HBO, well, Showtime. That's good. Yeah, it's all good for you, buddy. Um, Jim Teacher, the movie. Sorry, I missed that one, but I love the... That the, is a Nickelodeon thing. And that was called Cigarettes and Ice Cream, which makes perfect sense that it was on Nickelodeon, because you want the kids smoking. And getting <laughs> Actually, that was a read. I didn't call it that. <laughs> the library called it that. Um, 
All About Steve, uh, Catfish, uh, gosh, uh, 2010, you were one of the early people on Catfish. Well, that was Catfish the Movie, actually. Oh. Like Catfish the Movie that started Catfish the, the Television series. series. Wow, yes. I didn't even know there was a yeah, movie. Yeah, there was a movie. There was an independent movie that started the whole phenomenon. And then Limitless, which was a great movie. Yeah, um, I, had two, I had two songs in that. That was awesome. That's really I was really extremely great. happy about that. Um, Savoring Pie at Perez. Um, was that I didn't TV even show? know about that. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Some of them, like I never, as you can tell, I never go onto the IMDb, my own IMDb, and right. so I don't know what some of those things are. To tell you the honest truth, um, save the date, ACOD, Tito Poppy, Two Guns. That was a biggie. Yeah, uh, that was a big one. Uh, Easy Money Three, Life Deluxe, The Gambler. Um, Bosch, the TV series, Cafe Society, Now You See Me Too, which was very recent. That was about yep, a year ago. That was right? a year ago. Yeah. And Happy Birthday. Now, here's the interesting thing. I'm looking at this, and I'm not going to hold it up to the camera, but you guys have to take my word for it. At least half, if not two-thirds of the song titles on here are things like Sang Sang Ubag Jir Naga, Mangao Lu, and a suido and a cuido con amor. Uh, obviously, uh, my foreign language skills are not that great. But the point I'm trying to make is many of these are foreign language songs. Mm -hmm. Matt has made that his niche and his specialty because I believe you've told the story before. That you realized early on that you didn't want to be where everybody else was. So uh, I don't know that I that I realized early on I didn't want to be where everybody else was. Well, I just, just got, I just got just the most no lie, so I sound like I remember uh, stuff. Uh, <laughs> I just get the most traction from things that not everybody else has. Okay, well it, early in my career, like when I you know used to go you know uh, we all both obviously know and love Tom Brahini and he used to have this little thing called a. Los Angeles Songwriter Showcase, and that was actually the first time, even before Taxi, that I would go to pitch my music, right. and I would would pitch, you know, like every the, the stuff that I wrote, and was like you know, like no, yeah, I was trying to be like pop and R and B songs and country songs and things like that, okay. and I never got any traction from it, and the traction when I got when I got real traction by somebody big was I think some guy from Orion Pictures at the time. And uh, it was an, a mariachi song, right? Right. And so uh, oh, I just went, oh, they're interested in that. They're not interested in the stuff that I think they would be interested in, but they're interested in this kind of oddball stuff. And that's just that just led me to understand something about production music that that it tends to be. Um, it, it tends to be interested in everything. And the supply and demand is such that they just get a lot more supply of things that everybody does and less supply of things that are kind of out there. And so that led me to realize that if I did stuff that was more out there, I could probably more quickly make inroads with the companies that could place my music in the, you know, the shows that I wanted to get placed in. And that's been kind of... Uh, you know, one thing I do a lot of, and I have branched out very considerably over the years, but it it was definitely a good in. It's a good in to have something that's a little bit unique. It doesn't even have to be foreign language or, or an ethnic music style or anything like that. It could be 
you know, a new twist on acoustic music or whatever. But but it's just that though, because a lot of people will take that statement you just made. I I, I know musicians. I can well. play something later to explain what I mean by that. All right, by because people twist. will think that you know they they need to come up with something that's so genre bending. You know, everybody wants to be the new Beatles, which I get. Creativity feeds the soul. But when you talk about doing stuff that's outside or you know out of the norm, can you define that a little better? Describe it a little better. You're not doing stuff that's no, I'm like just exper- saying like putting experimental. Your, no, no, not necessarily. Uh, uh, you know, um, but you know, put a new wrinkle on something that already exists, and that's that's really popular. You Give know, us an example. An of example. An example was you know I sort of inadvertently came up with uh, what I would almost call a style of music that that, uh, uh, you know, I didn't realize that, that I was doing that. I just wrote a little track and uh, this was for my own company uh, when we just got started with this, me and my partner, Martin Hain. And uh, when, I, when I submitted this song to our distributor, he said, oh, this is so great. This, this music, it's like, it's acoustic, but it's not like everybody else's acoustic music. It's positive, it's uplifting, but it's a little bit, it's not just like strumming guitars. It's just a little unusual, but very accessible, and you should do a lot more of this. Can you play that one? Yeah, I can play it. Okay. And so, um, and so uh, that's, that's, you know, what I'm talking about. So, like, you, you put a little bit of a wrinkle on something, that might open more doors than if you just do what everybody else is already doing, uh, you know. So, that, that can be helpful, you know. And so, like, find a little bit of a niche, I think, is helpful. Even if your niche is, you know, drama, you know, drama, modern drama, it, it, you don't necessarily want to sound like everybody else. And you don't want to use the exact same stock sounds that everybody else uses in the exact same way because it's not going to set you apart. Yeah, sneaky pizzicato cues. Yeah. Well, of course, I've done a crap load of those too. So. (laughs) But if you you could sneak something in there, I saw a kazoo laying around here somewhere. You know, just. uh, uh, Well, I always do something to to you know keep things interesting for you know you know maybe just for myself more than anything else but but yeah no i mean absolutely you know make it make it interesting for yourself uh, and uh, and you know you have to understand that you are not you you are not the the main event you know you are writing music that is um helping a message get across of some sort in some way and so you are not the star and so the music can um, pull too much attention towards itself uh, if it does that then probably not uh, gonna be the you know that's not gonna be the right the right avenue for you to go with your music so it, it's tricky um, it's a tricky balance, you know, to understand that to understand that the music is says you're not going to be the star, you know. I just saw a great uh, article last night doing my typical weekend obsessive compulsive searching of all things related to our world. Uh, I found some guy had written, could have been the Hollywood Reporter, somewhere like that. Uh, LA Weekly, this guy wrote a letter to the editor bitching about how the production music industry has just friggin' ruined music 
because, oh, the music supervisors in particular have ruined music because they want all this watered down music with very general universal lyrics and they've sucked all the creativity, uh, you know, just out of the music industry. And the guy was totally missing the point that, that you just made so eloquently, eloquently, which is music isn't a star. It's not that they want you to dumb it down, it's they need you to dumb it down may not be the right expression, but they need you to not make it so good that it takes the focus away from the story and the dialogue. So what you're talking about though, we, and we talked about this before we went on camera, was that you do little things to entertain yourself creatively. Yeah. That may not, and I'm almost quoting you here, you, you said something to the effect of, it may not be enough to make somebody like my piece more than somebody else's, or it may not be enough to get it thrown out of contention, but it's enough to make me happy in so many words. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I would definitely not do something that I think is not going to get, the, the, you know, because I do it, the piece is not going to have the same amount of chances to get licensed. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not that self-indulgent, but <laughs> but uh, but I'm I'm going to try to do... You put a little magic moment in in most of my instrumental cues, you know, to put something in there that that just makes me smile and hopefully makes other people smile too. Is it now that we all know that you have magic moments in many of your pieces? Are, are we going to be able to find them on our own? Is it like the the Eagles used to always put secret messages in the lockout group? Well, it's nothing record. like that, but but <laughs> I think you do. I mean, you know, the other day I was doing something, um, and. Uh, I, I was doing a track, and I had Steve Collum come over. You know Steve. Yeah. Uh, he's a great guy, great singer, great songwriter. And I had him come over and do some vocals for me, just like word, wordless, you know, la-la-la type of vocals, and um, on two songs. And he said something about, about both of the songs. He said, like, there's a little, like, that, that, that's kind of what you did there is kind of really cool or something like that, that you know. And part. that was a little magic moment, you know, nice. just something that just, uh, you know, that I tried to put into all of my music. And it's not really that I'm, like, thinking about it. I think it's just I get to a certain point in the queue where I just want to do that. It's just, like, in my you know, uh, in my sort of DNA makeup to, to take it a little somewhere else, to add a little extra something and and so I do it and you know I don't think it's hurting me and uh, it commercially hurt you. <laughs> you know and, and, and it's 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 I think it's helping um, because you know there's a lot of people out there that use music uh, in in you know music supervisor music editors and so the clients our clients there are a lot of music lovers among those people they really love music and yes they have to do a job. They have, and, you know, the music has to fulfill a function. They get paid to, you know, uh, uh, you know, send a certain message or whatever it, it may be. But they love music and they appreciate. Uh, I think they appreciate the little magic moments. In my opinion, um, I'm sure somebody is going to say, "Well, I've made magic moments that didn't make it past the taxi screeners." So I'm really anxious to hear your magic moments because sometimes the magic moments that we hear take you far afield from the piece of music. It's like if it makes you turn to the speakers when you weren't already looking at them, the magic moment is probably not good. Whereas if it just makes you go, huh, 
Well, yeah, I mean, it can't be like a, it can't be, you know, like you got a little cue going along and all of a sudden you put like a bebop solo or something <laughs> like that. That's not going to work, you know. Okay. Well, it it just has to be a little, you know, a little magic, a little, a little ear candy, you know. Um, one thing I want to talk about, and then we're going to go play some music. Uh, I had my A&R staff send out a, uh, I saw something on the forum on the weekend, it's the third time I've seen it in 30 days. I think our screeners are being a little overly zealous about asking people to stick to the times that, now, mind you, when we reach, when a library reaches out to us or we reach back out to them because they've been a client before, hey, what are you guys looking for? Uh, we check with them. How, do you want 90 second cues? Do you want two minutes, two and a half minutes? It, it's pretty apparent that a lot of them really don't think about it until you ask them and then they go, yeah, two and a half minutes is good. And I, I've always contended it depends on the piece. Uh, you know, uh, a piece of Chinese music that's going to be in a travelogue might run a lot longer than a piece of Chinese music that's used in a reality show because somebody walked through the door of a Chinese restaurant and they need three and a half seconds. So Yeah, but they might also be sitting in the Chinese restaurant. Right, so different cues are going to work for different yeah. applications. And, and there is a difference. This is something else I've been pointing out to my staff, and I don't think a lot of people in the industry think about it. Generically, people call things cues. Generically, they also call things instrumentals. Generically, they call things instrumental cues. It's funny, when I had uh, Frank Palazzolo and Bob Mayer on stage, and I asked him, first thing I asked him at the rally last year, was the opening question of the road rally, is what, how do you define a cue? And Palazzolo said, it's a place where I put music in a TV show, which is a true answer. Uh, that's where it comes from. Right, exactly. That's where it comes from. The, the expression yeah. cue is, is like, oh, we got music. a cue here, we got a cue here. When they right. when they spot it, they go, oh, we need a cue, we need a cue, we need a cue. And so that's really what it comes from. It's just it's just a generic uh, term of here is a spot for music. But it's become uh, taken on other connotations as the industry has morphed and advanced over the years to now where... Uh, Palazzolo, who works mostly with songs on dramas, would say, I've got a cue here in the context we just spoke about. Uh, a reality show editor, with a video editor, would say, I've got a cue I need music for, and then can you hand me a cue, you know, figuratively speaking. A cue becomes um, a different kind of noun. <laughs> a cue is now a piece of music that's typically around 90 seconds or two minutes long. And it's typically constructed differently. And here's the salient point. Oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes a cue is constructed, meaning arranged and produced a little differently than just a generic piece of instrumental music. Something that's playing on a travelogue that is in Japan and looking at cherry blossoms, that could be an instrumental piece. Whereas something that's in a game show, a Japanese game show, would be constructed a little differently. Now they could be interchangeable depending on the context and the circumstance. So we've been working really hard at Taxi to really kind of push the libraries when they say to us, I need Asian instrumentals. Mm -hmm. We'll say, do you want cues or do you want instrumentals? And they go, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. Well, you know, I can tell you the truth. I haven't really thought about it either. 
I don't really see a difference. In my opinion, uh, the construction varies more by style. There are certain right. kinds of exactly. music, stylistically, that is going to demand a different kind of arrangement uh, than something else, you know. Uh, and so, it, it, I think it's more of a, a stylistic uh, difference, in my opinion. For Chinese music, for example, uh, traditional Chinese music, it's just doesn't traditional lend, Chinese music. Right, it's, doesn't it's lend like itself it, well to a Q format with like. It it just it just needs to sound like a traditional Chinese piece of music would sound. Yeah, you know. So and you have to go study that. Uh, yeah, know. you have to study that, but but you know it's not that hard. But but <laughs> it, you know there's certain specific styles of music that are almost not freestanding. They're almost only used as underscores in certain. Uh, situations and I think those tend to be constructed different from a traditional instrumental that would have like an A section, B section, A section, B section. You right. know, that's exactly my point. It's about context. It's about the right. genre, the style, all those things. And I think that somebody can elevate him or herself as a composer and a producer, and libraries can do more to elevate themselves if they just give it a little more thought. Because one of the things that we see being an, interme an intermediary is a lack of good, the lexicon and the vocabulary aren't consistent enough. No, they're not consistent, but they're not consistent because the clients are are not consistent right. in their, they're not, the clients are not musicians, so the clients are yes. just gonna say whatever, you know, they're gonna say, yeah, it just needs a little more, it needs to be darker here, you know, or it needs a little <laughs> bit more edge, or, you know, whatever, you know, a lot of the visual clients talk in, in visual, yes. in visual language, and you need to interpret that, and, you know, there is no standard, um, there's no standard, uh, you know, if, if I tell you the music has to be a little darker, it's not like a chord that you can place that is the darker chord. You no, know? but you and I would know what we're talking about. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we would, we would, we would, but we would interpret it differently. Every composer would interpret it a little bit differently. And, you know, I remember I remember years ago when we used to do, uh, do stuff for the Oprah, the Oprah Winfrey show, and they would they would say... You know, we need some sad music. There's some sad stuff happening in the upcoming season. We need some sad music. And so you would write this, like, sad little piano track, you know, and they send it in. And I remember they, it got sent to, like, one of the producers over there, and the producer said, no, no, this is, this is breaking up with your girlfriend sad. We need loss of, loss of child sad, okay. you know. Right. So then you go, like, oh like devastatingly sad you know yeah. and then you go oh that does yeah i can understand now this is too depends on the girlfriend you know, and the kid of course. yeah but, but you know what i mean it's, it's like the it, it it just you need to go to a completely dark place so there is levels of of all of these things and sometimes you have to give, be given an example of of what they what they are thinking about and then you can go like oh yeah and you know i know i wrote one of those you know, loss of child um, tracks, right. and they used it on an episode of that guy. I can't remember his name. That guy that uh, that the Into the Wild guy. You know, he went to like to Alaska, and he got Bear, to Bear Grylls. No, 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 no. 
No, you're talking man versus wild. No, there's, uh, a, there's a guy that that that, uh, that went to Alaska and he died in, in some bus up there because he couldn't get back across oh, the river. Yeah, and all that, yeah, that. Yeah. There's a famous movie, I think, right. directed by Clint, Clint Eastwood. And they had an episode on Oprah show where his parents went to visit that bus. And that's uh, where my loss of child track played in the background. Wow. So... You know, then it makes all sense after, after you know, because that has to be devastating. We sat there and there, and like this is where our child died, and you know, uh, so yeah. So we're talking about we're talking about um, there is no standard musical terms for these things, you know. There's no, no there really you know isn't. Uh, and you're right. The the people, the ultimate end user, who's usually the showrunner, um, will probably see the episode on, on most forms of television and make the final decision. They do speak in very visual terms mm -hmm. and, and emotional terms, but they can't say, "I need like more bluesy guitar or yeah, right. more minors or, yeah. or or minor sevenths." They would never in a million years do mm -hmm. that. No. And I find that many library owners can't either because they're stuck in the middle between. Depends. I mean, the people that I work with are usually pretty eloquent, and they're also usually pretty, um, uh, you know, forthcoming with examples of what they need. So uh, I think that it depends. You know, there, it probably depends on the level of experience that they have, and you know, who are you talking to at the company? It might not be the president. You know, so. Uh, Remember, uh, I won't mention any names, but I think you and I were probably both in the room uh, at the road rally when uh, a music library owner on a panel. Uh, God, what was the band? What's the band Ryan Tedder's in? Um, um, yeah. And called it uh, dubstep. Yeah, I'm I'm draw I'm drawing a blank now too. It, uh... Anyway, it was just you know, but yeah, yeah, two completely different things, and yeah. that's kind of the world that we live in, Texas. So we we really have stepped up our game over the last two years to get as much, not that we didn't do a good job before, but now I think we're doing an incredible job of really stopping and asking ourselves, do we really, did we dig deep enough on this one before we put the right. listing out there? On the other hand, our members are like, God, you guys are so particular. Right. Uh, but we're just trying to get... Well, I mean, you're trying to make sure that people aren't misdirected, you know? I mean, if yeah. somebody's going to send something in and you know uh, potentially even write something specifically you want to make sure you give them as much information as possible and then you do have to follow that direction if you want to get that forward you know i mean that's kind of you know that's the way when you again you're not the star your music is right. not the star you know it's 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 trying to uh fulfill a function all right let's listen to some music um Tell us what it is that you want to play first, and what what's the point that you're going to make with it. Um, Do a setup, as we say in the industry. All right. Well, since we were talking about um, the magic moment, and since we were talking about um, some uh, acoustic, unusual acoustic music that's a little different from most of the acoustic music that you've heard. Uh, uh, or that you, you know you hear every day, or that somebody who has an acoustic guitar would think of strumming or playing when they're just you know sitting there. I'm going to play a track that is of that style of music, which we are now calling organica, and it's it's um, acoustic-based, organic-sounding music always. 
uh, fairly um, happy and upbeat, but not ukulele strumming or your typical acoustic guitar song. It's just a little bit unusual, and but still, you know, the clients like it. So, so here it is. It's called Babbling Brook. I'm actually stirring up a little bit. change the emotion of the track. No, it, it doesn't make you snap your neck around and go, what was no. that? 
but it does give you a, a little just um, more um, satisfying yeah. development yeah musically more musically satisfying development in my opinion I'm always like looking for things like that like symmetry or you know just interesting things to occupy myself with it's funny uh, I think it was the last time or two times ago I had Shirelli on the show and he was talking about chord inversions. And I've got to say, back in the days when I still worked in a studio, people didn't think about that a lot. It's become more prevalent in the last, I mean, jazz guys did it, um, sophisticated composers did it, but in regular pop music, there wasn't a lot of it. And I think- Yeah, that probably was, that's true, yeah. Nowadays, true. people are paying more attention to it. And yeah. It's cool that you've used I that. I think, you know, I think one of the things is, is you know, really if you, if you think of your average pop music of maybe having like six chords, mm -hmm. you know, or seven or something like that, well, if you if you uh, you know realize that instead of putting the uh, the root in the bass, you could also put the the third in the bass and the fifth in the bass, and potentially if it's a seventh chord, the seventh in the bass. Now all of a sudden you got a lot more chords, and they they still all fit stylistically in the same genre. They're not like somewhere totally out there, but you you still have more. Uh, options for chord progressions, chord movements, and things like that. You know, so that's so that. I never thought about that. I've got to say, all the years, forty years in the business, I've never totaled up the number of chords in the average pop song. And you're right. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's. You know, no, normally it's one, four, five, and then the, the relative minors that six, and then maybe they put in like a, a you know, a, 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 an out of like a flat seven or something like that. But yeah, right. there's not much there. You know, that's being used in most. Uh, pop music and you just ruined my life even more now I can't, <laughs> I can't listen to anything on the radio no, I'll be counting no. chords but yeah but but yeah that's you know that's how we how I entertain myself so this is so this was both an illustration of that style of music which again you could you, you can hear it's all acoustic sounding but it's not necessarily the first thing that a guitar player would play when he picks up his guitar. It's doing some interesting thing. There's harmonics, there's, you know, there's, it's percussive. It's not very particularly melodic. It sets a mood. It just has a little spice to it. It's a little unusual, but it's still very friendly for a lot of applications, including including advertising and, and uh, you know, underscores. And, and so I think um, that's just an example of, you know, something a little unusual that really caught on with, with uh, you know, our clients. We get a lot of licenses for this kind of stuff. Can you turn, the people are saying it's still a little hot uh, on their end, so can you turn it down a pinch more and play like the last 30 seconds of it, tell us what the instrumentation is, and was everything in there from a All right, I'll turn it down and people should tell us. That looks good. Now they'll say it's too quiet. Well, there is a um, piano, acoustic guitar, about two or three, marimba. Male acoustics or, or samples? Um, uh, there may be a real one in there, but there's most, there at least two are samples. You said marimba? Yeah. Marimba was more obvious in the beginning. And then I also used some uh, reverse effects, but that's actually 
for this particular album, we were doing that. Uh, with the first album that we did, uh, we didn't use the reverse effects. That was just something to give the second album a little something different, you know. Right. But, um, yeah. So, play us something else. But that's an example of, you know, uh, putting a little twist on, you know, something normal. Um, and then... Um, I tried to do something different with more electronic uh, music. Uh, again, I was trying to do something that's that's like it's it's it uses mostly synthesizers, but I didn't want to um, really do really ambient music. I wanted to have more, uh, a little bit more development and more something more happening. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted it to kind of still sound organic. Um, and I didn't want it to sound like EDM, and so it's like just set myself parameters of things that I was trying to do, and then I also kind of, the two other things came into play there. One was that, you know, a lot of pop music now has like vocal hooks that are not actual, uh, you know, singing, but there's something done with like a sampler or, or you know, treatment, like for example, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, um, uh, Chainsmokers, uh, do a lot of stuff like that, or you know, the, the took a pill in Ibiza has that like vocal hook. So they they have these interesting vocal things, and so I thought, oh, I could put something of that in it. I could like make tracks that use some kind of strangely um, processed vocal, so that you could barely tell that it's vocal, but there's still some kind of vocally thingy in there. And so that was just so vocal use as an instrument. Yeah, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Non-lyrical vocals, as we like to call yeah, them. Yeah, not, but not even not even so that it's obvious that's a vocal necessarily. So this is a, a track that I call Siren's Breath. Now in this one, the vocal is pretty obvious, the vocal sample, but. Thank you. 
as I was listening to that, I kept thinking if uh, Tim Burton didn't always use Danny Elfman for everything, this could have been used very well in a movie like Coraline. It, it, it's it's uh, yeah, it has a somewhat cinematic quality to yeah. it. Yeah, it's kind of a little yeah. It's it's more textural almost than yeah yeah musical, but it definitely creates absolutely true a mood. So. By the way, people are asking, because you mentioned sequencing before, and people yes. are saying, does he mean um, quantized when he says sequencing? What does he mean when he says sequenced? Did I use the term sequence today? Yeah, apparently. Um, <laughs> when I mean sequenced, I just mean, uh, I'm kind of old school, you know, from the time when we didn't have computers that had everything inside of them. So, uh, you know, we, we, there was like a hardware unit that was called sequencer and you would connect okay. your keyboard to it and you would play something and then the sequencer would play it back. Right. And the way it was stored inside the sequencer was as MIDI information, not as audio as you would on a tape recorder. Right. So this only thing is when I use the term, if I really still use the term, it is just meant as MIDI recorded as opposed to... Uh, uh, audio recorded and you know now in our modern programs we do both we have both capabilities side to side side by side and for some things audio recording is better for some things uh, MIDI recording is better and sometimes when you want to do certain things you might you know it might be best to actually take the audio uh, take the MIDI part and record it as audio and then you can do other things to the audio that you can't do as easily in MIDI you mm -hmm. know so but yeah Basically, when I say sequence, if I said sequence in this context, that's what I would have meant. Speaking of audio, and this is completely off topic, but you'll appreciate this because it has to do with recording. I hope the audience says, the other day, uh, I had a little flood in my office a month ago or so. I was moving stuff around, putting it back in, and I found a cassette that said Neil Young on it. And I pulled it out, and it was stuff from the Comes a Time album when it was just Neil and I in the room. And you could literally hear Neil go, oh, okay, one, two, three, and counting it off. So it was just the, the genesis of the album was just Neil and his acoustic guitar. And the cassette had not been touched in 40 years, and it sounded just as good as the day it was done. So it gives me hope for all those old tapes laying around. Yeah. I didn't have to bake it. I don't have to be baked, huh? No, nope, didn't have to do anything weird. Just put it in, and it sounded amazing. I guess it depends on the uh, tape formulation. I think, yeah. I think mostly the Ampex uh, tapes were susceptible to um, to the uh, shedding. Not all brands, but they were so widely used that, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm going to completely switch gears here. Okay. I'm going to go to a pop song. Uh, how much time do we have left? Um... Technically, we're eight minutes from the end of the show, but if the audience is into it, and I think they will be, we can go an extra 10, so we can go to 540, which would give us about 17 minutes. Okay. So, um, so I did a lot of, uh, I do a lot of um, um, vocal music um, for the larger libraries, and that's usually like, uh, you know, really in a different field, it's, it's not meant to be... Um, uh, used as underscore, it will be used as source music somewhere, and so they really just wanted to sound like 
you know, real pop music uh, or real so whatever. For for people who are new into this, which most of our audience isn't, can you explain what source music is? Yeah, source music is just a, a, a piece of music that comes uh, from a, a specific source within a scene. So, it, okay, you know, box, the best so. way to describe it is it's music that actually exists in the scene, the, the people, the characters would hear that music. So right. it's coming from their from their television, or it's coming from their car stereo, or it's coming from a jukebox, or it's coming from somewhere. Whereas the underscore music, you know, when when people walk down a dark alley, it doesn't go like zzz, they don't hear that music. It, you know, <laughs> not listening to any drugs before they turn left and exactly. go the alley. So. So, so I did. So, as we already established, I'm do, I do a lot of foreign language stuff, and so I did this K-pop song, and uh, uh, and I did something kind of interesting on it, which again um, ties in with the whole vocal thing that we're talking about. You know, uh, as you guys, I'm sure, are aware of, there is two things that are happening a lot in pop songs right now. Uh, there is there is a section after the chorus that's another hook. And oftentimes that section after the chorus, that's another hook, is like uh, some kind of treated vocal, vocal used as an instrument, like we said in a, a Chainsmoker uh, song, what is it called again? Uh, Say You Never Let Me Go or something like that. And then there's the, the Pill in Ibiza and almost every single Sonino Gomez song, yeah. Justin Bieber, you know, that like, it's, it's like everybody does that now. And a lot of times it's in a section after um, after the chorus, right. another additional hook section, and you know, very very few songs have bridges now because of that, because yeah. you know it's just they something that's happening yeah. right now. And so yeah, they run out of time exactly. And so of course I decided, huh, you know, I'm gonna do this in my K-pop song. So here's I'm gonna pay, play for a whole K-pop song, uh, and I'm thinking you're gonna obviously realize uh, where that hook is. You'll hear it, and then I will um, sort of see. I, I will show you guys how I made that hook. You know, <laughs> so that you, you know, if you, in case you don't know how to do that or have, you know, an interest in it, you can try it yourself. So here is the song, and it is called "Nasty Boy." <laughs> like many um, foreign language songs, uh, Asian pop in particular, they tend to have some English snippets in that. Oh, oh. 
To my co-writer, who is the lyricist and the singer, and he's actually Korea, I said, you know, you know, I want to have a vocal hook there. So if you can think of uh, think of something, just put something there. Or if you can't think of anything, leave it blank. And he put something in there, and I didn't really like it, but um, but I but this nasty boy thing was really cool, and I had no idea, of course, that that, that was, was what the lyric was going to be. And so in the end of the chorus, he sings, "Nasty boy," and so I took that phrase and I put it in my sampler right. and out of that I created that hook. <laughs> so this little thing on the, you'll hear it right now, I think. Nasty boy. I took that and I put it in my sampler and that's in here. Contact. Oh, somewhere down there. So I called the instrument Nasty Boy here, as you can see. Mm -hmm. And so this is Contact. The, most of you guys know Contact. This is a sampler that pretty much everybody has. And you, you open that little wrench there, and it opens the, 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 the view of the innards of the instrument, so to speak. And there you can see that I dragged this audio recording and assigned it to these keys. So you can see there's one there, there's one there, there's one there. 
And uh, that can then be played from the key. And I got a... Uh, this is the note right here. Is the note that, that he sings it on. And then he also did a double an octave higher, and I think that's up here. Wait. There. And you already heard the Mickey Mouse effect. Right, so that's the two things. And so. Uh, so, but that starts with like the, the 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 flat seven. It doesn't sound with the note that I wanted, which is the this song, right? So I use this, and then I also assign a pitch band of one octave to it, so I can. So I can make that, and so then when you look at it inside, you can see that. Um, the pitch bend does all these moves there. So here are the notes that I play, and then the pitch bend bends it down and up, and and so it adds that extra sort of gliding sound. So then if you just listen to that and follow along there. Really, almost a bass line in the way it's mixed. Exactly. It is, and, and then I you know put some flanger on it and stuff. And then also in the end, I I, I thought I wanted to do something with the boy sound, right? So. So I isolated that and made it into its no in its own sample. So I can now play boy up here. So this is a great example. So many of the listings that we put out now say ear candy. Make sure you have plenty of ear candy. People don't know the definition. It doesn't mean you have to mimic this exact thing, but it's the creative use of something. Yeah. How do you know when you've gone too far? Because this would be really easy just to like, uh, overuse. Well, you orient yourself by what's on the charts, you know. And and you know, to tell the honest truth, is like uh, what they're doing now. Ten years ago, it would have been, been too, too far, far <laughs> way too far, you know. I mean, Especially it's interesting. It's interesting because it's interesting because now. Uh, you know, when I grew up uh, and first started getting into music, we, we got the first hardware samplers, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, you know, emulators and then Sonic Mirages, and we right. did this kind of stuff. And, you know, the, the pioneers of, you know, uh, that, that, that kind of uh, electronic music did this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then it just completely went out of style. Yeah. And now it, a new generation of producers had rediscovered the joys of sampling <laughs> and is now using this same type of stuff again. And, of course, nowadays there's different ways of doing it. You don't have to do it in samplers. There's other ways to do it. But this is still a really fun way because you can play it. You know, you can... Uh... That's like, you can make that into a patch that could be a, a you know, a, a riff for a dance song. So I mean, That's almost a horn part when you play yeah. it up there, not just because of the octave it's in, but just yeah. the style. And Whereas when you're playing it with the pitch bends in it, it was very much like a bass Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And again, not just because of the octave, but the no, actual yeah. part that was written. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's an example, and you know, like you know, if you have a sample like contact, like don't don't just use it to play presets, you know, that that come with it. You can load any 
recording that you made, your own recording. It right. could be a guitar chord. It could be anything. You could load it in there. You can play from the keyboard. You can do all kinds of funky stuff to it. And you know that's what you know these these uh, these uh, modern producers are doing. So why not try it yourself? I watched. 20 minutes of K-pop in my kitchen the other night. My 20-year-old daughter had two friends over that are YouTube stars, and they were watching K-pop just as an educational thing. Uh, and it's really fascinating how it, it's, in one sense, very much like American radio pop today, and in another sense, absolutely, you can see the difference, especially when you watch the videos. And oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think every there was one that had like two hundred girls that were on some TV show, yeah, yeah. all doing the song at once. And yeah. I thought to myself, you know, you don't really hear that on American radio. They do take it to another fifteen percent level, yeah, fifteen percent above and beyond. I think everybody should spend a weekend watching K-pop so that they. Can I think yeah, it's things. gotten incredibly creative. I mean, you know, it's it's really like there's one. Uh, one album, I think it was last year, that the, uh, like, I, mean, I can't remember if it was Rolling Stone, but some, some like, really big American uh, music uh, magazine, in their top 20 albums, they had only one foreign album, and it was a K-pop album. Wow. You know, and it, it, that album is really killer. I mean, it's really, really... Yeah, the production, what I heard the other night, was just astonishing. Oh, yeah. And generally done by really young people. I went, of course, I went upstairs, whipped out my laptop, because I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of these yeah. two-year-olds. But uh, the guys making that stuff are very, very... A lot of them, yeah. I mean, they learned from... The, they, they used to get a lot of uh, producers from, from uh, the U.S., and I think those young kids learned from those guys. Yeah. And so kind of it jump-started their market to really where it's also now in Asia it's by far K-pop is by far the hippest music uh, uh, you know that that the young kids like to listen to in yeah. China in Japan everywhere in Asia because it's the just videos. cutting edge you know it's like the, the amount of money they're spending on the videos oh yeah like back to the old MTV days of 200 oh yeah crazy crazy amounts of money and that the you know a lot of the groups are like it's almost like you know the way the Russians would train their gymnasts you know <laughs> right. it's like uh, it's like they go into these camps and they groom these groups it's uh, a little bit scary perhaps but uh, you know they were gonna find the bodies of all the kids <laughs> that didn't make it through the camp. But it's but it's not. But, but you know, it's really great. It's fun music, and this one is actually the more conservative of or of the ones that I did. For I did stuff that was even more, you know, a little more cutting edge. This is more like Psy, you know, like yeah. the uh, the uh, Gangnam Style type of deal. Yeah, Polly uh, is talking about uh, Big Bang. I, that was one of the ones I watched the other day. Yeah, Big Bang is is one of those ones that are still big. Uh, any final thoughts? Because it's time to wrap up the big show. You, you've been amazing as always. I and mean, seriously, I could just turn on the camera and go grab a burger and come back. But uh, uh, final thoughts? I don't yeah, know. Like, is there a question? <laughs> well, if we start with questions, we'll be here for another hour. No, and a half, I just but... mean, is there maybe you came across one that you, um, that you either have or that somebody like that. Flew by and you yeah, thought, oh, that's a good question. I, I, I've got one that I didn't ask you that probably works best as a closing thought. For people who are just starting out, because, again, I want to go back to we've got beginners, intermediates, and experienced people. The experienced people know a lot of this stuff. The intermediates have learned a lot of it from watching Taxi TV and the Road Rail, I think. 
for the beginners just starting out, are there any mistakes that you see that are common to the beginners that would frustrate them and deter them from having the perseverance? What might smack you down emotionally and make you go, you know what, this isn't for me when they could have been uh, well, put away from the finish line. Maybe I could, maybe I could uh, um, actually say something that I, that I just recall. There's a guy um, who posted something uh, on Facebook. I think uh, he's, I believe, a taxi member, and he, you know, has sort of, you know, done uh, written some music for quite a while, and it's it's good music by, you know, as far as I know. Obviously, I don't know everybody's music, but. Uh, you know, but he said something like, uh, uh, and he was, you know, kind of sarcastic and, and fun. He said, well, I hope I get a placement in the next 26 years. And, uh, and I, I said, and then I just thought about it for a second. And then I, I, I said, a I put a reply and I said, well, you know, if it's a consolation, any consolation, 26 years ago, I did not have a single placement. And I would not have a single placement for another seven years. So 19 years ago is when I had my first placement in 1998. And, you know, so, you know, you got you to realize is that, you know, don't, don't, you have to think, like, if you look, if you look a quarter century ahead, you could be making very nice money and be very successful, even if nothing happens in the first five years at all, you know. So funny that you said seven years. You know, the last thing I thought of before I crossed Kittredge out there was I flashed back to the fact that it took me seven years before I got back to, after I started taxi, took me seven years to get to the income level I was at before I started the company. And I was thinking in terms of people that walk away too soon. I could have walked away every single one of those days for seven years. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You, you, you can, and you know, the question is really that, that are you willing to give it a shot? Is, is it that important to you? Is, is making music, um, you know, as a, as a way to support yourself, is it that important to you that you're willing to give it five years or whatever to just see if something can happen? If it is, then, you know, that's, that's not that bad of an investment, you know, but, uh, but it, if it it's is. not, if you don't have the passion for it, or if you realize that you just want to make your music your way and you would rather have a day job uh, that you know that you that you you know doesn't drain you creatively so you can come back in the evening and do your music that's cool you know i'm not telling anybody to do what i'm doing i'm telling you that if you think this might be something you're interested in give it a shot give it a try like find out more about it but i'm not trying to tell you you know you got to do this because this you can make money and the other way you can't make money it's not all about that. It's about you have to be creatively happy and and but you have to keep an open mind enough or or I would encourage people to have an open enough mind to to at least give it a shot and you know see if this is something that I, they might enjoy. You know what else? Pensions aren't available like they used to be. So many of us that are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old and don't have a retirement fund and could very well have to work until the day they drop dead, which is a pretty friggin' sad state of affairs. I look at you and some of our other members, uh, I'm not telling tales out of school here, that have crossed the six-figure line, who will be making money until the day you die because of the seeds that you planted now. 
in, in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and you can still be making the music at 78 years old and loving what you're doing. Yeah. So it's worth the five year. Investment. I think I think for me definitely I would I would agree. You know, for me it's, it's like I enjoy this very much, and uh, you know I you know I don't plan you know on retiring because. I love doing this, so yeah. I might slow down a little bit, you know, take more breaks and do some more, concentrate on some other things, but I will always be writing music and it's not like I have to work until the day I drop that I, I want to do this. And you're pretty much, probably you know. eaten by a bear on a metal uh, Probably not. <laughs> well, thank you, Matt. The, this was awesome. It, it, with, I had high expectations because we've done stuff like this before, but you, you exceeded those expectations. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Today. And I hope you guys at home enjoyed it. Uh, we'll see you next week. I wrote in my book what the show is, but I've forgotten. I do know that we've got, um, oh shoot, uh, Aaron Jacobson, music attorney, coming up in a couple of weeks. Love Aaron. Uh, yep, she's amazingly good. Uh, it's almost time to get Robin Frederick back on the show. People have been asking me when Shirelli's coming back. So we have all kinds of good stuff coming up in the weeks to come. And with that, I bid you... Not from Taxi World Headquarters, but from Matt Hurt's Rappy Studios. He likes to call it a fond farewell. Thanks again, Matt. Bye, you guys. Bye, everybody.